Hello, hello. This is Postgres FM. Uh, I'm Nikolai, and my co-host is Michael. Hi, Michael. Hello, Nikolai. So we will be talking today about one of my favorite topics. I think it's quite often underestimated when our database and workloads grow. It will be about migrations, right? But what kind of migrations? Migrations is not a good term. I don't like it, but we all use it because of some, I guess, some Ruby guys, right? Or where did it start from? Database migrations. It sounds like we're migrating from one place to another, but actually it's about schema changes. Yeah. I've heard the phrase schema migrations as well. So we're talking specifically about, and I know this is implicit in what you're saying, but I don't think everybody has this implicit, but zero downtime migration. So how do we, how do we do a schema migration in a way that doesn't block writes or reads? Schema evolution is a better term, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anybody that's building products, building applications, managing a database, if it has any success at all, it's going to change over time, right? You're going to want to add things. You're going to want to change things. You might even want to rename things. Three deployments per day, as usual. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of those changes, by default, the way that they happen, take locks, right? So those locks on small tables are nice and fast, but once they start getting bigger, those locks can be really problematic. So we're talking about changes that right. can cause these heavy locks for long periods of time and alternatives to those. Or, and, or cannot acquire lock. Yep, yep, absolutely. Also problematic. And this is even more, more dangerous mm-hmm. and it usually remains unnoticed until some level of workload. But I have a good recipe and probably this recipe will work for everyone and we, we will just end this episode much earlier than u- usual. So we, we promised to not to exceed 30 minutes to ourselves and to our, some of our listeners. And let's try to do it. I see uh, timer here. So recipe is simple. Let's have ID column with perfect UL ID or UUID version seven, eight. I don't remember some ID column that can be integer eight. Just don't use yeah. integer four, right? And JSON. B or without B, it depends, but JSON column. And that's it. We don't need migrations. Well, actually the integer for integer A question is a really good point. And that the reason that that's problematic is because changing the type of a column is one of these issues. It was one of these operations that takes. Uh, I know it very requires. well. I, I've earned more than hundred K on it. Just on this yeah. sole task for multiple companies, at least four companies so yeah but yeah so i think we could probably do quite a long time on that issue alone but my my main point was that it's because that requires a migration so that is one of the one of the category of issues here i guess it would take a long time to discuss the details of every single one so i was hoping we'd give some maybe uh, newbies a little bit of a an insight into what kinds of things can cause problems you, you don't understand. Let's put everything to JSON and then we don't need migrations. That's it. I understood, but I thought you were like being facetious, right? We get like, that's the whole no SQL argument, right? They, they made the, they had the marketing claim of schemaless. Don't worry about migrations ever. And, and there's some compelling stuff in there. But then the benefit of relation databases, a lot of the reason a lot of us love them is we get validation and we Let's get. Let's just mention that multiple banks and financial organizations and also e-commerce organizations used this approach, JSON for everything and schema lesson or like how, how it's called. And it doesn't work well for data where you need good quality of your data, right? For example, billing, billing system. 
and this, this is on one hand on and on another hand also i can encourage listeners to read the article from uh, michael stonebreaker it was an edb blog co-authored with alvaro hernandez yeah. right about how bad it is to avoid good normalization so normalization denormalization should be uh, in, in our toolbox and both by the way and if we talk about it, uh, schema changes are inev inevitable, right? So yeah, let, I will, I want to just to exclude this because some someone yeah. can ask, uh, why do we need it at all? The schema changes, uh, but uh, right, let's start from something simple. You try to add a column. Yeah, perfect example. And it seems it's very simple column without defaults, without anything. Like I just want some small column on the right side of my table. That's and suddenly you have traffic uh, went down for many minutes. What happened? I mean, traffic to this table. It's like partial downtimes. Other tables are accessible, but this table even selects are blocked. What happened? What do you think? Something <laughs> waiting on a lock, right? Like it, something gets of stuck course, behind yes. that. Yeah. It's, I think this is something that eventually should be improved in Postgres. Right? Like retries or how, how would you? Right. So. We have created this concurrently. We can, we have two stage procedure to create uh, var various constraints like foreign mm -hmm. keys or check constraints or, or unique constraints and unique index, of course, uh, concurrently. So we have tools to avoid uh, long uh, exclusive logs. Long uh, exclusive logs are inevitable. So just uh, schema in, in uh, system catalogs, brief, at least brief exclusive log is needed. But there are two big problems, at least two very big problems. First, okay, three. First is very obvious. We cost full table rewrite. For example, if you change uh, integer four to integer eight with single line, single uh, con comment, uh, alter table, alter column, you will cause full table re uh, rewrite. And if it has uh, one billion rows, probably this is when you think, oh, it's already 50% of capacity, which is 2.1 billions roughly. This is when you already start be, being nervous and try to do something. In this case, full table rewrite will cause very long lock and nobody will be able to talk to this table. But this is obvious, right? We do some work uh, while still keeping, holding this uh, exclusive lock. Of course, even selects are not possible. There is another problem, slightly lighter problem, when we don't need to rewrite whole table, but we need to at least scan it at least once to, to check that for example, constraints is uh, not violated by existing rows. So it's just read, but still long because billion rows, right? And during this, we also hold this uh, exclusive lock. But these two problems is, are quite obvious. There is one particular problem which hits everyone and we don't have anything inside out of the box or inside Postgres itself. And people just keep not, not noticing it until they reach some thousands of TPS. And this problem is nasty. It's like we try to obtain our log for one millisecond or less just to adjust our system catalogs, but we cannot because, for example, somebody read from something from this table and didn't close transaction or still reading from it. Or Autovacuum is running in non-regular mode in transaction ID wraparound prevention mode. And in this case, Auto vacuum doesn't yield, so it won't uh, auto kill itself. In this case, we 
just wait to this log to be acquired. And this is easy to see in PGSET activity wait event for our session, right? But the problem is why it's nasty. Why is it nasty? It's okay to be blocked uh, if, it, if it's only about us, right? But the problem is uh, we have a long line of all other transactions who try to even read from this table and they form long line behind us waiting uh, if we will succeed or fail. This is it. This is our like landscape of problems with making schema changes. Yeah, I feel like you di dove into kind of like, I know it's one of the simpler examples, but it's also one of the more complex ones, right? Like it's, it's one of those things that looks fine in a lot of them. Yeah, it's simple, but a lot of the time it's fine. And then sometimes it's a problem, right? Before we move on from that one, the solution, I think you've written a good, really good blog post that includes this as one of the examples. And um, so I'll make sure I link that one up, but we can, there's a setting where we can cancel things that we can set a timeout. Walk timeout or statement timeout. Uh, yeah. For example, PGR Park uh, does something like that and it uses statement mm -hmm. timeout. Okay. Cool. But it's old school, old fashioned way because it will affect also DML and so on. We, there is lock timeout. And uh, well, a statement timeout, if you do it in your session, if you have quite complex transaction, very properly organized. So all locks are closer to the, the end because all acquired logs will be held until the very end of transaction rollback or commit. So in this case, if you use statement timeout, it will be applied both to DDL and DML, including selects. Yeah, so there is a finer gray, how to say? Fine grained? A special yeah. timeout, fine grained setting, which will be applied only to uh, log acquisition, not to whole statement duration. And it's called log timeout. And of course, I prefer using it. I don't remember what PGR Park decided. They originally said, oh, we need to think when I proposed to use log timeout because statement timeout, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it was not working well in some cases with PGR Park. I don't remember details. It was long ago, but log timeout is what you can use at least to not to block others for long. Because if you are being blocked, not being able to acquire log, you block others. At least it can be like, okay half a second, right? Why so, so why, why this value? Uh, we had our first episodes about episode about query duration, latency, what is long, what is short for human perception in OLTP case web and mobile apps. So second is already very noticeable, but half a second or maybe hundred milliseconds quite good, but depends on the cases. Maybe you try but you fail and you need, you need retries. And in my article, I have another article, article about it, right? Specifically for this problem, proposing the solution, uh, retries and low log timeout, maybe increasing with some back, back of jitter and so on, like, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you'll call like exponential decay, like that kind of. Right. But, but not until hours, yeah. right? Not until minutes yeah. even. Still quite limited and maybe try a bit later and so on and be prepared for your deployments to be failed. It's mm -hmm. fine if you have auto vacuum processing. Well, it also depends. I see some people pre prefer uh, observing auto vacuum running in this mode, understanding that it kicks off early, like at 10%, 20% usually, it depends, of all capacity. It's very safe to, to just terminate it and let it restart later. 
but you if you terminate it your session will, should be already in process of attempt of acquisition of lock because if you just terminate and go try i bet autovacuum will, will be sooner than you and you will have the problem again so you need to start attempt and kill autovacuum pg terminate backend for autovacuum and then it, it opens the road mm -hmm. in front of you Right. But I wanted to mention, you're right. This is one kind of a problems when you think it's so simple. Everyone hits it at least like silently, not noticing until some level of workload. So simple, but it's also complex under the hood. If you dive inside, it's like many things, many things, but it's so simple. How come people live without solution to it? And it still uh, amuses me actually. So. I don't understand why, like, I, we definitely need something, but uh, I have solution uh, at upper level outside of Postgres, but I think at some point inside Postgres should be done something. We see some improvements in the area of partitioning, like detached partition is, is already not blocking and so on, and many things like that. But this is uh, just, let me add a column. I would like to specify a lot of time out the number of retries and logic right inside this alter table statement. Yeah, it's a good, that's an interesting idea. I, I always think, how can you make these things the default, right? Because until you know that those settings exist, you're still going to hit that the first time. But yeah, it would be nice to empower people that do know it's an issue as well. I just come across really experienced engineers. Some people that I consider some of the best engineers I've ever worked with. And for example, this was, I think it must have been pre-Postgres 11, but somebody adding a column with a default. So they... That was always going to cause an issue, and it did. So that was a, a real problem, but it this caught is, them out. Th this falls into, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting you again. It falls into previous, like we have a table rewrite, table full scan, and this like uh, unsuccessful lock acquisition problem, right? What you mentioned falls to full table yes. re rewrite yeah. because uh, pre Postgres 11, when we create a new table with default, it caused full table rewrite. It's quite... It's quite, it, it, this I would expect. Postgres is not perfect here. I understand this. Okay. But that I like, what? Yeah. Okay. Like how come I, for, I even simpler example, I want to drop a call. Say, yeah, yeah. there's some, we, I'm conscious we're not going to have time to discuss every single case of this. So there is a couple of good articles, one on the one I just mentioned on, uh, it was by Brando, wasn't it? On the, the change in version 11. And I think the nice thing about that article is it goes into some of, not all of the complexities, it does link to the patch, for example, but how complicated some of the remediations needed to be to make adding a column with a default, not a rewrite case. So that changed in version 11. And it's not, it's not trivial that change. It, there's a lot of places that that touches. So I, I do have sympathy with that these things are difficult to do and difficult to do in a way that still lets people on simple databases just get things done so i yeah i understand like the complexity but equally it would be nice to not have people shoot themselves in the foot quite so often as, as happens at the moment right and actually this change in postgres 11 is very connected to integer 4 primary key problem because if you think about how you can convert to integer 8 there are two big uh, approaches i call it new column and new table New table is more like PGD pack style when you need, uh, both are, should be down, uh, zero downtime, <laughs> right? 
The second one, uh, new table, it's more like PG repack style. You need to create another table, uh, but first imp implement triggers that will record all changes in some delta table. And then you do select, uh, create table as, as select or just copy like, like some snapshot of existing table. And then you actually, there are interesting tricks there as well. And then you need to take care of about uh, indexes, constraints, foreign keys, especially. It's interesting, very interesting. And then you apply Delta maybe in several steps. Actually, it's possible to split it to multiple transactions, which I didn't know initially. I thought, oh, whole Delta needs to be applied in, at once. No, PGPack is, is much smarter. Uh, we can do in steps. Just last time should be inside our renaming transaction. But this is a more complex <laughs> approach than just new yeah. column. But if you do, if you do new, new column, eventually you need to redefine primary key. But primary key, not in, only in Postgres, in fear even. It consists of two things, uniqueness and, and not null. Yeah. Two constraints. Uniqueness, we can create index concurrently with, uni create unique index concurrently. It might fail we, we, if there are duplicates, we, we fix it. We, eventually we can create it without long locks. Mm -hmm. So it's like so-called, so-called online operation. So create index concurrently is online operation and create unique index concurrently. Create index is not online operation, not how to say online safe or there should be some term. Zero downtime, it's not proper term because if we block one table, it's not downtime. I, I call it partial downtime. Only some part of workload which deals with its table is, is uh, experiencing problems, but uh, everything else is fine, right? I like online operation as the, as the, yeah. Yeah. A good friend of mine who is from SQL world, a good, very big professional, uh, gave this, gave me this mm -hmm. term. I like it as well, online operation. But what about uh, not now? Before Postgres 11 is terrible, absolutely terrible. You cannot create it, period. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, if you create it, you have second type of our problem. You need to full scan. Postgres needs to fully scan table at creation time. And during this time, it holds this very expensive exclusive lock. And check constraint can be done in two phases. So you, first you say not valid. You create check constraint very fast, not very, again, you need to do retries. If you do it very properly, you need retries and low, low, because it's still changing schema, right? But not valid means it will not be applied for few. Some people think not valid, it's not valid. Like, no, I mean, it's not valid for all data, but it's already being checked for all new rows, updated or inserted. Of course, deleted, don't count. It's like no validation rather than not valid. Is that fair? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's, it's already working, but uh, it's, uh, we skipped validation for existing rows. And then we, in our transaction alter table, validate, and this doesn't uh, need the long lock. Constraint already there. It's just a flag. And this is like a two phase, two transactions, separate transactions. And this is how we can market. Uh, we can create a, a check constraint. Is, uh, our new column is not null. But in, before Postgres 11, if you create check constraint, it cannot be done in two phases. I think since Postgres 12, if there is check constraint and then you create not null, it's smart enough. I think Sergey Karnilov implemented this. It sees, oh, there is check constraint is not, is not null. So I can rely on it. It already oh. validated all rows. Like I, and that it skips cool. it in Postgres 12. But 
using some brain power, we solve the problem for Postgres 11 as well. What we can do? We say, because just rely on this new feature, not blocking default. When we create our integer 8 new ID, we say default minus one, not null. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's magic. Like Postgres thinks, oh, it's, it's, this not, minus one, this default is, is virtual. It doesn't, Postgres doesn't rewrite whole table. It just says, okay, for all existing tables, we think it's minus one virtually, right? But if it's already filled with some, we can say not now, right? Then we backfill in batches and drop default. Minus one goes away. We have real values that not, not now is there. So this trick we used for Postgres 11. It's funny. It's like very interesting. This is like, it feels like art. You, you've used what you have to achieve something like multiple things uh, work together and you achieve something very useful. But uh, then uh, I, I even was slightly disappointed in Postgres 12 seeing this like, okay, now we can do just check and then not now two, in two steps, then uh, we create not now, regular not now. And uh, this uh, interesting trick is not needed anymore. Yeah, I know it's not a good analogy, but I quite like thinking about it as the, you know, if you ever seen those magicians putting lots on the table, like a dining table, and then they get the, yeah. the tablecloth and then they whiff it out just and with everything stays as it is. A good okay. migration is a bit like that. There's always one step at the end that's kind of like the little finesse, the last little thing to make everything work, but it needs to be really quick and it needs to be like not change anything, but it can all go wrong as well. So if they pull the tablecloth and, it, and you haven't right. quite sorted everything out, everything falls on it. Everything smashes basically. So yeah, that's, there's one other blog post that discusses some of that in more detail, which is the Braintree one. I think they've updated on the PayPal blog. So I'll link that up that has some of these kind of worked examples in it. Another one I did want to make sure we covered, or at least I think that's on the slightly more complex side is one that one of my colleagues covered from GoCardless that caught them at, and I think you cover really well in your post, but it's not obvious, which is the foreign key update. So like the, the fact that it takes locks on both oh. tables, I think it's really like catches people out. Different logs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. different logs. And if, if also if partitioning yeah. involved, it's very interesting. Let me also advertise a couple of things. First, the GitLab has very good migration helpers uh, if you if you use ruby and if you don't use ruby it's still very insightful uh, it's uh, in their source code and they have very very good documentation about all these uh, things so it's very well tested both on uh, their production.com uh, and all gitlab instances there are so many of them right and you need to deploy without seeing what is happening. So fully automated. And sometimes tables are yeah. huge, even uh, if it's not uh, there.com. So it's like, it's very challenging task and they solved it. So their experience, I think, I find their experience is very like one of the best in this area for Postgres. And also, of course, uh, our tool DBLab. So if you deal with foreign keys on both sides, sometimes like we need uh, different types of logs, Unfortunately, we can create foreign keys in two steps, but if partitioning is involved, it's tricky how foreign keys are propagated from parent to like partitions, from mm -hmm. main table mm -hmm. to partitions. Like I never keep it in my mind. It's too much. 
I trust two things. First, documentation source code. And second, our tool. Our tool detects long-lasting exclusive logs. You just need to apply it with either for existing tables taken from production without PII or something, or just raw production. It's, it, it's even better if you can afford it in terms of how data, how infrastructure is organized. Or you need to generate some rows, right, for testing. And by the way, by the way, I, today uh, I just used uh, ChatGPT to fill tables. I had some rows in my table, and I needed to, to have more, yeah. right? Okay, I, I have one megabyte. I want one gigabyte or ten, hundred gigabytes, and help me. It's it's good in this if you show examples mm -hmm. and it helps you like increase the size. According to some patterns, uh, it already uh, we already have. So, you, if you just test with big data, uh, our tool can uh, catch database lab engine and DB lab can catch long long running exclusive logs. And in this case, you understand your solution is not good, and you go fix it. Yeah, I think th this these things I trust, right? Documentation and yeah, DB lab. this is great for catching two of those classes, right? Like including the let. Let's say it's a large table and oh, it, the third case is still difficult, right? Because like, as in the go cardless blog, you need to have some long running transactional or vacuum, as you said, some, something hold yes. like you are and it's still correct. tricky. It's still catching. So I'm not sure if the, maybe the GitLab one does one for that as well, but I think that's actually super tricky. Uh, my question Migration help of GitLab, GitLab nice. has implemented this approach, a uh, uh, low log timeout and retries. Mm -hmm. They have it. Uh, they have helpers awesome. for, for this, this thing. But you're absolutely right. And our tool right now doesn't do it. Like we don't have a background uh, transactions which do this. It's, it's technically mm -hmm. possible. Uh, yes, like we, we can think about it. But uh, so far, this is something you need to do. And uh, so, yeah, we cover only two first classes. You're right. But yeah, for this, I think everyone should just need to, just needs to have it always, you know, be prepared for long running, like after vacuum or some transactions holding some even share logs blocking our DDL. Yeah. So we didn't cover actually interesting topic, how DDL is related to DML and like updates or deletes in batches or Massive insert as well, also interesting. There are many things, right? And we already reached our limit in time. So let's wrap up. I think we scratched surface, but we did well because we brought many good links on the table, right? Uh, articles and so on, materials. Definitely. And I think we've given some good warning signs. You know, if you're thinking about adding a column, if you're thinking about adding an index, anything to do with partitioning, create, detach. We've given some good one, oh, foreign keys, especially anything around renaming. These things are scary and you should be careful and try and remember this and read up about it. Oh, renaming has issues. Renaming has issues also related mm -hmm. to application because if you have many application nodes, it's also interesting. Sometimes you cannot simply rename. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And the topic is very broad and yeah, warnings are right. And I bet most people have issues in their like, database migrations they have. Like, uh, they just don't, if you think everything is all right, you, you just don't have proper cases. Don't have enough data. You, ha you haven't yeah. met problems yet. Because there, there might be problems lasting yeah. a second and nobody noticed, yeah. right? But uh, later it will be 10 seconds, then one minute, and uh, 
it's already bad. So I hope it was, it was helpful. Uh, please read articles. A lot of wisdom there. Yeah. Brilliant. Nice one, Nicola. Thank you so much. And catch you next week. Good. Yeah. The, thank you all listeners. So let us know if you like shorter episodes. Nice one. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye.